Well, US equity markets climb the wall of worry as we look at further US debt negotiations over the weekend. We take a favourable view on the US dollar. We see the yen being taken out to the woodshed as the carry trade makes a stronger emergence once again. Blake looks at breakout strategies on the S&P. And I take a favourable view on the US over Europe and trades around that. This is the trade-off. Well, hi, I'm Chris Weston, Head of Research here at Pepperstone, and we're joined in two seconds by Blake Morrow from Forex Analytics, and we're discussing all the setups, the trades, the formatics, the vibes that are going through these financial markets, and we're going to share them with all your good selves and look to break down the trades that come from those situations. Mr. Blake Morrow, come into the program, my good sir. Hey, Chris. Good to see you, buddy. I'm really hoping you don't make me laugh today because I think I've cracked a rib showing eight-year-olds how to play goalkeeper. I think one of those situations in life where your body just gives up on you and says, stop playing sport. You know, you're just not made for this stuff anymore. Um, so please don't make me laugh. It's, it's, it's hurting I was going to try. You're just lucky I'm not good with one-liners, Chris. I'm like the worst joke teller in the world. So fortunately for you, you okay. you're off the hook. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. <laughs> well, look, you know, we've been discussing low volatility and certainly in equity markets, we've seen mean reversion working in, in FX um, for some time. You know, the front end of the Treasury curve has just been sort of trading in a tight range and, you know, vols have been pretty low across asset classes. And, and maybe we're going to see a bit of a breakout as we go into options expiry and those factors. But there are some good trading opportunities. There's always stuff if you look closely enough and you've got your strategy in place. So, yeah, I think it's a good time to explore. And um, I think, yeah, have you got anything to add on that situation? You know, all I have to say is the VIX is down and it's low. Um, you know, sentiments. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that here in a second. I just want to say volatility is low. It's hard to really short a dull market. And we're seeing the markets rip higher. Today in North America, we saw a lot of really big breakouts. We're going to talk about that and as we go through all of our topics. Um, I, I just, I don't know, you know, Chris, I, I've got I've got a lot to say today and I had to shift gears. And there's a lot of times as a trader, you have to sh shift gears. I'm, That's right. I was positioned one way. I had to, you know, eat crow, take some losses and turn and go the other direction. Is that actually, is, honestly, I know I, I, maybe it's just because I sort of hide out in Australia, but it's actually genuinely a saying, eat crow. Is that, is that something you actually, is that a, is that a proper saying? <laughs> you know, it's a saying that I've heard and I don't know how proper it is and I don't ever eat crow. So <laughs> I eat. Oh, let's, let, let's go straight into all these things that we want to talk about. Let's go into a topical funder. Let's do it. Right. I want to talk about sentiment because um, we were just seeing today, I mean, everyone's been positioned for the recession trade. We've seen defensives beating, you know, outperforming cyclicals, low beta, uh, sorry, low volatility beneficiaries, you know, significantly outperforming high beta stocks. Uh, yeah, people have been positioned for, for recessions in the markets. They've hedged themselves through, you know, rates trades. You know, you've seen the level of rate cuts that have been you know, coming into the market. You know, that's somewhat been priced out in the last week or so. Um, but yeah, people have hedged, been in those core equity positions, and they've hedged their risk out through optionality, through through S and P skew, through long calls in the GLD, and also long calls in the TLT. And so you don't really have to do much. You just you, you ride that equity position, and you've you've hedged yourself nicely. But what we've seen overnight, um, obviously, we're, I'm recording this on Thursday, my time, Wednesday night, your time, um, 
is that you know what we've seen is 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 very very high short interest stocks have been have, have rallied strongly. We've seen the best day in the KRE, the banking index, all year based on what Western Alliance coming and saying they'd seen a sort of a dribble of of deposit inflows over the last three days, and that was enough for the shorts to cover. Um, but you know you've seen junk, you know, poor balance sheet stocks really outperforming, and and the market's had every opportunity to roll over. We've had enough stuff to throw at the market. Poor Chinese data, poor European data, like greater chance of recession, and we're going higher. I mean, what, how, how are you reading sentiment here, Blake? Well, I think you're, I think you're, you're 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 you know framing it correctly, and I think a lot of people were positioned for a poor outcome, and because it's options expiration this week, you're you're getting a lot of people just covering up positions, and that's that's creating a squeeze in a low volatility environment, Chris. So I I. I don't want to say sentiment has really changed. At least it hasn't changed for me. I think we will be facing the music later on this year. But for now, tactically, remember, it's late in the day for me, guys. I get up like 14 hours ago. So it's late in the day. Um, I think tactical longs make sense right now just because I think market is really more poorly positioned than anything. And I think that's the real issue that the market's facing. People were prepared for a worse outcome. It, it looks like today, and we'll talk a little bit more about the debt ceiling here in just a moment, but it looks like people are positioned wrong and the market's taking advantage of it. And could that take us higher from, from current levels? I believe I so. I just want to say one thing. You just mentioned op- options expiration. About 30% of the gamma yeah. rolls off this, at this, uh, at this, at this in the market of the total interest um, it comes off this Friday, so yeah, the market. I think yeah, a lot of the funds have been have been sellers of calls. They've taken the premium from from selling those calls, and some of them have just used that for a you know, to enhance the yield in their portfolio. Some people have actually used that premium to buy puts and therefore get a free free hedge on their their underlying equity. The problem is, is those dealers have been have obviously been buying the calls, and that's created a mean reversion strategy. So when the market goes up, they hedge that their, their delta by by selling the futures, and some of that comes off. So what I think will happen next week is we'll actually have a market that that has lower gamma and, and will effectively be freer to move around. And I think that could create somewhat higher volatility just by that by that dynamics. It's an interesting one. And you think about like the timing of it all. We can just go ahead and move to the next topic and we talk about the debt ceiling negotiations and where we're currently at. Um, obviously, this is uh, one, one of the one of the things that spurred the movement today in the markets was uh, just you, you have a basically both sides saying well let me let me let me quote this came from president biden to be clear this negotiation is about the outlines of the budget not about whether or not we're going to quote unquote pay our debts he said the leaders of congress have all agreed we will not default every leader has said that and then kevin mccarthy said who's the who's the speaker of the house you know i have the grit the perseverance and we're going to get it done well he said get it done i said get her done that's what we say here in the U.S. We say, get her done. Anyway, so it looks like both sides really want to avoid a default. <laughs> What's that going to look like? And, and are there obstacles along the way? I think there are. Remember, we we have not only a House, we have a Senate. We have a very limited time, a very short window, so things can go wrong. But it looks like both sides are willing to at least push something across the across the goal line just to get it done it's gonna happen before we start defaulting but do, do you so. know what you know what blake like we know how this we will there is only one way this ends and of course there's going to be a deal at some stage we, that, that has to happen otherwise there'll be a 
a catastrophe in America. But you've got to think, about, I was thinking of this very simplistically. If there's a deal that happens, you know, the, the, the debt ceiling, it's not going to be a clean debt ceiling negotiation. There has to be, there has to be some spending cuts in there at some stage to please the Republicans. There has to be an element of spending cuts in there, just the smallest amount. But there has to be um, to get a deal done. And, and But, you know, if there's a deal done and we see the debt ceiling being lifted for two years into 2025, no one will remember it in six months' time. You know, you're not going to remember the deal that was that was happened. But everyone, every person around the world will remember, uh, you know, payments being missed or even a, a debt default, a technical deferral of payments in, on, on the bond obligations. Everyone will. People always remember that legacy for Biden. People always remember that for... for um, for, for the House Speaker, you know, um, yeah, McCarthy. Yeah, people always remember it for your for your House um, for your House representative and your senator. You, that will tarnish you. You've got to get a deal done, otherwise, you, you know. I know, I know, Trump's pushing it and saying you've got to have deep-rooted spending. You've got to be at the balanced budget over a, def- a decade, or take it to a, to a default. And, and he could still be uh, a concern in this this whole negotiation process. He he could um, throw a spanner in the works in this situation, Donald Trump. But that, that, that's the way I look at it, is, is that if a deal's done, everyone forgets it in six months' time. It doesn't really matter. If a deal's not done, everyone will remember that. And your career's over as a, tra- as a, as an, uh, as a senator, right? As a politician, right. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the one thing I do want to throw in there, and I want to make sure that we mention this, Chris, is that things can go wrong. And I'm going to treat this more as a buy the rumors, sell the news right. type of event. Yep. That's the way that I'm going to, I'm going to treat it. And I think you outlined it a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this, how, you know, once there is a, a an agreement, that might be the turning point in the markets. And well, I, I think, think that could be, that could be the negative because they're going to issue a trillion dollars worth of, um, of, of T bills. And we're going to see, yeah, the, the, the treasury general account being rebuilt and that's going to suck dollars out of the system. But look, look, I mean, the, the thing that everyone's, everyone who's watching this program right now, yeah, Kevin McCarthy said that a deal could be done by Sunday. Does that mean you go into the weekend with risk positions on, looking for a gap open on Monday, hoping that you're going to get that that situation? What happens though now that the market's built up this position that that there could be a deal over the weekend, knowing that next week I think it's the Senate are on recess, so they you know they, they they can't actually be around to get a deal done. If a deal's not done over the weekend, do we get a gap lower on the Monday? So that's a, that's a factor we get to think about. And 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 you're freed up to move as options expire this week. So it, a lot gapping of risk, moving there's gapping risk, There's gapping risk up and down. So just be aware of that going yeah. into the Friday expiry there, or the Friday close. So anyway. 100%. I'm going to go into the dollar. So yeah, I think it's, it's all feeding really nicely into each other. It's almost like it was pre-planned, Blake. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, let's go into the dollar, right? Because what we've seen is a situation on Friday. Let's go back. Let's take it back. We're going to re- 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 rewind it back to Friday. Um, we saw the market making a pretty powerful statement. Now on Friday, I think we saw that that dollar index, you know, breaking out that sort of consolidation range that we've been seeing. We've seen that Bollinger Bands really, really compressing, showing that realised volatility um, was moving, you know, was moving progressively slower and and, and and narrower. We saw a big, powerful, you know, rate of change to the upside. It closed above the upper Bollinger Band, and since that point, we've seen it grinding higher. I think what obviously what you've been seeing is is U.S. Treasury yields have been moving wider relative to bunds, and that's that's put some upside there. Uh, yeah, Chinese data has come in consistently worse than expected. Dollar CNH has been moving up; that's moved above seven. That's probably for me the most key cross, yeah, in in the world at the moment. Now, as the dollar's been moving up against the yuan, you've seen the dollar moving up against the euro, the Aussie, and all these other currencies as well. Um, 
but you've seen the euro moving down because the data in Europe has also been quite poor. You know, industrial production, factory orders. There's been a, you know, their own SLU's report, the uh, lending report has been bad. So, you know, I think you've been hit, seeing that that euro factor, the yuan factor, and the dollar's been moving up quite nicely. So, um, I I sit in the camp that 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 you know, if they, if, if we wake up on Monday morning and you know, there's there's really no togetherness in that debt ceiling, knowing that we could go into the 1st of June with Treasury cash balances getting very, very low indeed. Um, then I start worrying, and I'd actually be selling the dollar against the yen and the Swiss franc and buying gold in that situation. But for now, uh, the way the market's acting is, 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 is quite positive on the dollar. And you know, certainly against the euro, it's looking quite good there. So how are you doing it? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more. So make sure you all stick around. We're going to talk a lot about the dollar yen here in a few minutes. But also you look at the euro downside targets of uh, the the bear flag pattern point to 107.50. And and I know it's not very far away. I think, uh, you know, I think, but, I think lower, mate, to be honest. I think lower. Well, you know, and, and maybe we see 105. But, you know, the dollar yen looks like it could see 140 to 142. So, I mean, you put all that together and that's a majority of the dollar index. Looks like the dollar could really move higher. I mean, maybe the sterling holds up a little bit, but you got the Aussie weakening on the Chinese data, as you pointed out. Uh, you got... You, I mean, the dollar just looks like it's about ready to rip some heads off. People have been leaning short into the dollar. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but when my cleaning lady tells me that the dollar is getting de-dollarized, you know, (laughs) she really, you know, it's, she would have known known who you were. Oh, I'm going back to Blake Morris. He's a gun trader. So I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the de-dollarization story. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, really, you had to ask me that question. Time to get long dollars. So that was a a couple of weeks ago, but anyway, the the big one is the, um, the dollar smile theory, right? So on the left-hand side of smile is the dollar outperforms in a global growth slowdown. And, and, and I think, on Friday, that's what you saw. And, and in early parts of this week, it's Chinese data was slowing down. European data was slowing down. US data, for the most part, was, was looking a bit precarious. The last few days, last couple of days, retail sales and there's other factors. But yeah, clearly the world is slowing down. It's not collapsing, but it's slowing down. And I think the dollar's been outperforming on those safe haven flows from that left-hand side of the US dollar smile. So go Google that one. Um, go to the Pepperstone dollar smile chart on, on Google Images and you can see it. But it's, it's the dollar's been outperforming on that left-hand smile of the dollar, dollar theory. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, I, I like the dollar smile. And actually, I watched your video and everybody should go back and watch the video on dollar smile that you put together uh, a few days ago. Right. It was a few uh, days ago. Yeah. Is your cleaning Something lady like that. talking anyway. about that one as well? <laughs> <laughs> she did not. But I should give it to her. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's let's turn it to uh, a topic that you brought up a couple of weeks ago about trading and gambling. And I, I wanted to revisit it today because you know, it, it kind of struck a nerve with me. I, there's been periods of my career uh, over the last 25 years where I solely just lived on the markets, traded the markets. And, you know, not when I was uh, chief strategist at, at MB Trading and Ally Financial, not when I was, you know, also managing for a fund, but with Forex Analytics too. But I traded for a living for many years, just that's it. And people would come to me and they'd say, hey, you're a gambler. You just gamble for a living. And I always took offense to it because I understand that, you know, and I've been to Vegas probably at least 30, 45 times in my life because I live one state away. Um, I don't gamble. I don't like gambling. I actually, when I go to Vegas, I I gamble very little amounts of money because I know that the odds are stacked against me. But in trading, it's all about putting the probabilities and risks you know, knowing exactly what your risk is and putting as many probabilities in your favor. 
everything that we do in life, especially as a small business owner, as a trader, we're always taking risks, but it's minimizing your risk and maximizing your profit potential or reward. That's why I don't look at it as gambling, Chris, because when I go to Vegas, I know like there's a really strong chance I'm going to walk away a loser. But when I trade, I try to stack all those pro as many probabilities in my favor. So it's not a gamble. So that's why I, I, I took a little bit of a, it struck a chord in me. But what are your thoughts regarding gambling and trading? Well, you're all about the clubs, aren't you, in in Vegas? I can see, imagine in front of yeah, getting a bottle, Correct. getting a table, <laughs> greasing the palms of bouncers <laughs> and getting into fun. <laughs> I know that. Look, I, very, I, very high risk, little reward in that situation. Well, just so I, you know. I, I think, to be honest, I mean, um, I'm sure my boss will take me out the back and shoot me, but I, I see it. I see trading as gambling. <laughs> I don't, like From a very simplistic perspective that no one knows the future. If you know the future, you're probably inside of trading. Um, but there's things you can do that that, that make this... I, I agree completely that it's all about odds, right? It's all about having a probable, uh, you know, positive expectancy. Um, and that comes down to the to the tables that you see in, in the casinos. Everyone, if, from a house perspective, yeah, everything has a set odds. And their job is to get as many people through the, through the doors and get them, you know, yeah, you know, boozed up and lick it up, and the more people are there because they has they have an edge, right? You know, if if, if a craps table's got fifty one percent, their job is to get as many people in and exploit that edge, and and that data sample is obviously big enough to to get that one percentage point winner. So over time, they'll make money, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to put the odds in, and that's where a systematic strategy can work well. One that's been back tested. Obviously, with back testing, you're making an assumption that what's worked is going to continue working. But if you have the data sample, um then you can do it. So I agree. I mean, from a simplistic perspective, I see it. We don't know the future, but there are ways that we can cut our losses and, and, and work on our odds to get that slight advantage. And when we know that, we work that that we work that edge as much as we can uh, and exploit that edge in the right market conditions. So, yeah, I think it's 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 a different form uh, of just of gambling to the point where we're just sort of just chucking out there willy nilly. Like you, you have control and you're trying to exploit that edge at all times. So that's that's where it works for me. And you have so, to know how to, you know, you have to know when to press. And that's the thing about like, if, if, if I'm gambling, I know when the odds are in my favor heavily and I'll press a bet. And it's same thing when trading it. It's like, I sit there and I, you know, I, I'll, I'll fiddle and fiddle around the markets and I'm trading it like maybe a quarter or maybe 20, 25% of my size. I'm normal size. But when I see that the risks are really small and I, I see the probabilities are really in my favor, I know when to press and I know when to press a bet. So yeah, you could call well, it gambling, I, it, I guess. But yeah. The other thing is, is that I know it's sort of going to get wrapped up from the producer, but the other thing is, is that the win loss ratio, it, it, to be honest, is, is, is determined by the strategy, right? So if you're running a, main, a, main, uh, a momentum strategy, like a lot of people don't even care about the win loss ratio. It's about how much risk you're getting, uh, how much reward you're getting for the risk on the trade. So you might only get 40% of your trades, right? 45% at the best. Um, but, you know, you're going to ride those winners out. And it's been tough this year because a lot of those, you know, we've seen so many failed breakouts and, and mean reversion working so well that it's been tough to be those momentum and trend traders. But generally speaking, you're not really too concerned about your win-loss ratio. It's about extracting the most out of the trade and hoping that you're going to get those big outlier trades. Where if you're running a mean reversion strategy, for example, then you really want to have a very high win-loss ratio and, and that risk-reward becomes less of, a, of an issue because you're just trying to trace it down to like a, a mean within your strategy. So that win-loss ratio matters more. And so that's a really big dynamic, I think, when, you, when you're focused on, on what you're doing. 
doing. You don't need to be right with a lot of the strategies I'm doing. You just need to make sure that you're extracting and holding them when you do finally get that break. So that's an interesting one as well. Anyway, I know you guys at home have got a lot of thoughts about this. Um, you, you were very active and, and, and open about that. I'd love to hear what you uh, where, where you disagree with myself or Blake or your own thoughts as well. Anyway, let's go into that's a setup. Well, this is an interesting one, Blake, because I got in there early with this one, and and I know you really wanted you to did. look at Dolly. You and I think everyone, that one in. Oh, everyone's looking at Dolly Yen <laughs> at the moment, aren't they? I mean, if you're in the if you're an FX trader, uh, yeah, everyone's selling the yen. The yen is just the ugly boy of G10 at the moment. Yeah, carry trades are working beautifully. You know, you've got this this gradual grind higher, low volatility. I mean, the stars are aligned for carry. Carry is king right now, and of course, the yen is your funder trade of choice. Um, but we're right into this 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 horizontal resistance level. We wanted to sell it. You've got a bit of a, do you want to call it a cup and handle, I suppose, there, which I think is one of the most you know, highest conviction setups that you can have. Obviously, we need this to close above there, and I think it obviously needs a bit of work. And as I said before in that last, uh, last segment, a lot of these momentum trades have been chopped up because we've had so many failed breaks. Um, but look, yeah, I, I, I think this goes higher, Blake, and, and um, yeah, I'd probably be looking to fade it late longer term and obviously if, if we do see a debt ceiling um, issue uh, that, that that's not in the script then the yen the yen rallies against the dollar but right now I think this goes higher what do you think you know it's funny because Chris he jumped on this early he threw this one out there before I could I could even get to the keyboard had to be and done. we laughed about it before the show <laughs> because I got, I, up, you know, I, got up half, actually, I got up at half past four to get this chart in before you, mate. <laughs> you did, and you did a marvelous job. So I want to compliment you because yeah. great minds think alike. I, I actually am long dollar yen right now, so I'll be talking my book a little bit. But if you look at the breakout, you overlay the breakout of the Nikkei, where the Nikkei is approaching some really multi-decade highs. You know, the Nikkei you overlap that. Strong correlation with yen yen weakness, Nikkei strength. Also, if you look at 10-year yields, they're trying to break a channel higher. And when 10-year yields go higher, yen tends to weaken. So you put those two together, there's a good case to be made that the dollar yen could really stage a breakout. Plus, you do have the dollar moving almost across the board. And you got the euro that's weakening. That's gonna that's gonna uh that's gonna aid to the dollar yen. So overall, Chris, I have to admit, I like this one and I'm already long. So going back go. to that, going back to that trading is gambling, and you talk about managing risk and looking at probabilities. Probabilities is what we look, and that's what the options market's brilliant, because it teaches you to think in distributions and probabilities. When you look at this chart right now, one thing's clear. I wouldn't be sure. I know a lot of scalpers are sitting there scalping off the big levels here. Um, I'm not a scalper, um, but you know the scalpers are looking at this and going, right, we're right into that level now. We can just take a few points here and there, 15 pips here, risk-free risk, risk free to make 13, whatever it's going to be. But you, this is this is where the scalpers love. You've got big levels, you work into that. Uh, but for me, as a sort of right now, I can see five or six yeah, candles in a row, good momentum. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be sure. And that's the thing where you, you manage that that distribution. You say, where is the skew? And and, and so I, I just take that short trade out right now um, and I'd wait for the daily close above that level and then I'd, I'd be buying on, on, on further strength. That's the way I'll be looking there. And there's going to be a lot of people doing that. So great, great, great setup there, Chris. Let's, uh, let's turn it to gold. And um, the way I'm actually looking at gold right now is we've been following this nice channel higher for the last several weeks. Uh, we, we challenged the all-time highs. We rallied towards that 2060, 2070 level. It depends what what uh, platform you were looking at or what broker you're using. Not sure where Pepperstone marked up 
the highs, but we saw a reversal. We broke back below that channel and it looks like it's setting up to make a reversal back towards 1900, maybe at least the low 1900s, maybe even further. One of the, one of the things that's gonna complement the yen as the dollar yen moves higher, the gold market tends to move lower. So I, I see us, you know, challenging some pretty key support here. A break below the uh, the the 1960 level, really solid daily close below that should expose some downside in in the gold market. And I know if you're a gold bull, that's probably not what you want to hear. However, I think if you are a gold bull, you want to look for these pullbacks to reload. This close below the 50 DMA also suggests lower. What are your thoughts with the gold market here? Well, the fundamentals, I mean, this is a recession trade that's that's being unwound. We've seen that in the, the cyclical defensive ratios, short interest names coming undone. And and obviously, as I said, people have been hedging themselves through 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 the rates market, through SOFA, through Fed Funds Future. And, and you know, go back to a couple of weeks ago, we had 118 basis points of cuts being priced between now and January. That now stands at 76 basis points. And there's no doubt that the gold market has fallen as a consequence of that. So this is a reflection that a lot of these hedges that, that have been for really doomsday scenarios uh, are, are being priced out. Now, we're not out of the woods. If you do believe that we're going, to, we're going to accelerate into a recession, gold's the one for you. If you think the banks are going to turn lower after a strong day yesterday, gold's the one for you. But at the moment, a lot of these recession trades, people are just covering those positions a little bit, trimming back on some of those exposures and just letting their, their, their risk positions ride out a little bit. So gold, to me, it's not an inflation hedge. Forget about that. It's, it's, it's a hedge against recession. It's a hedge against disinflation, deflation, and it's a hedge against fallout from craziness that happens. And if you think that's, if you're just pairing it back. So I think there's further downside risks, but I wouldn't be giving up on gold. I still think there's, there, there's reasons to hold it in the portfolio for those, those reasons I just talked about there. So it's an interesting one. Anyway, thank you for bringing it up. And there's a lot of gold, gold heads out there um, and, and they'll be looking at that one. But yeah, the technicals are showing it's kind of been moving in line with the rate cuts that have been priced out of the market. Um, an interesting one. Oh, that June FOMC meeting is looking quite an interesting one now. Uh, about 20% chance of a rate hike priced in for that one. Anyway, let's go to the JPN225, the Nikkei or the Nikkei. This is in beast mode. It's in beast mode. And you know, I go back to, to April. Warren Buffett went over to Tokyo, came back, said he's buying Japanese stocks. We've seen five weeks now of, of inflows into Japanese funds, equity funds, futures, you know, billions and billions of dollars. Everyone is turning into a massive Japanese bull. Now, one of the things is they've just gone through the earnings season. It's been an absolute blockbuster, 14% dividend growth coming through. The, the companies are producing cash um, and they're giving it back to shareholders. We also like, um, obviously, the technicals. It's just been going up. People, CTAs have been buying yeah, topics, futures, Nikkei futures. Um, yeah, the Japanese economy looks quite good. We're growing at 1.6%, which we'll take in this low growth environment. Um, but the tourism market's flying. They've just had the biggest wage negotiations, I think, 30 or 40 years. You can see why the, the Nikkei has been outperforming, not just in yen terms there, Blake, but also in dollar terms, euro terms, Aussie dollar terms. This is working. So how do you see this? Well, I well, first of all, I I, I think we made mention of it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's massive amounts of inflows that have been coming in massive. To, to Japan and massive. into the indexes. Oh, I'm sorry? No, I was just, just being silly. Girl. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that that's putting us near breakout levels. Now, if we break 30,000 in the Nikkei, we're going to be trading at levels that we haven't seen since 1990. Think about what you were doing in 1990. I actually enlisted for, in the Marine Corps in 1990. That's how many years ago that was. Well, I fell so over and didn't I, hurt my ribs. That's 
back then. <laughs> you were a goalkeeper and you didn't get hurt when you used yeah, to I was fine on then. the ground. I was falling over for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this, this breakout could really have some legs, especially if we get some daily, weekly closes above 30,000 in the Nikkei. It looks bullish. And when it's this bullish, it's hard to stand in the way. And that's when you start looking at other markets. You start looking at the German DAX. You know, the German DAX were not so far off the all-time highs either. I mean, these equity markets look like they could run. And uh, so if you're standing in the way and you're trying to short, just keep in mind the Nikkei is kind of leading the way here. My concern with the Nikkei is it's just too loved right now. The fact that we're talking about it on the show is probably why, you know, why why you probably shouldn't be going long. I mean, this is something that no one really looks at. It's very important because S&P futures trade very closely aligned to this during the Asian time zone. So the the, the Nikkei and the Hang Seng are your, are your best best markets to look at the S&P futures during our time zone. But it, it's too hot for me now. I mean, I, again, it comes to our risk reward. Do we buy now? Do you put new money to work at these lofty levels, very, very overbought levels, or do you wait for a pullback? So some mean reversion traders will probably be fading this one. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a buyer of pullbacks into this one. I wouldn't be putting new money to work at this level too. Well, okay, so that brings me to my next setup where it, we're going to talk about the Euromex. And you'll notice that the, the the subtitle there, it says, know your risk. Just like any trade, Chris, you know where your risk is at. Like if you're out there mean reversing, fading the Nikkei, you know where the daily closes, the weekly closes are at. We start breaking above there and you don't want to be short anymore. Well, same thing with the Euro Mexican peso. You kind of know exactly where you're wrong. And that's any trade, you should know exactly where you're wrong. Where you're wrong, you and you need to be man or woman enough to pull the plug on those trades. I do it. I know when I'm wrong, and I don't like being wrong. But when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll I'll pull the plug. Same thing with the Euromex. But the Euromex has been one of the best carry trades in the FX universe for quite some time. Trading euros, you know, short Mexican pesos, long. We've seen them, and it's interesting today, even as equities were rallying, we saw the Euromex bounce, which suggests that this could really be a great hedge for those of you that are quote unquote long risk going into this weekend, because you know exactly where you're wrong. Anyway, here's the setup that I like, long Euromex as a hedge. What's your thoughts on this trade? I, I, so I'm, yeah, I used to do a lot of carry trades back in the day. But one of the things you've got to, a lot of people need to realize with carry trades is you look at it on a volatility adjusted carry basis. Now, you can go and get better carry from the Turkish lira. You can get you know better carry from, you know, some of the, the less liquid LATAM currencies, but you're going to get much more volatility for that. So on a volatility adjusted basis, the MEX has been one of your better performers because it's very liquid. You know, it's 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 the most traded LATAM currency. It's up there with the G10. It's a major currency. So, you know, on a volatility adjusted carry basis, which is one of the best tactics at the moment, the MEX has been your mean you one there. Now, would I be would I be shorting that? I don't know. I mean, I can guarantee what will probably happen is you see you see Euro Mex trade through that level. You'll see a bit of a stop loss run, and it will come back and close above that level. And that's probably your, your buy situation then. And everyone's like, "Oh, the market's corrupt. Everyone's brokers are stopping people out through the levels and bits and pieces." But um, yeah, I, I I think right now I wouldn't be betting against the Mexican peso. Um, it's it's a tough one. I know you, I can see that you're you're looking for a bit of a bounce, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't in this volatility adjusted carry regime it's, it's it's just a little bit too tough for me to bet against the mexican peso right now anyway let's go uh, to 10 4 there you go let's go to the player of the day
Okay, I've got long short play, L S play, long short, pairs trade, some people call it. So what I've got here is the Euro stocks, the European, you know, the major European equity market, the Euro stocks market. And I've put it as a ratio against the NASDAQ 100. I could have used the S&P, but the NASDAQ's the, the stronger market. And of course, you want to uh, look there. So what I want to do is, is I want to be short the European market and I want to be long the NASDAQ. I know the NASDAQ's hot. Everyone, it's a big, big crowd of trade. Everyone, you see that in the fund manager surveys and various factors. But what I like about this, I know there's a currency effect in this, but you can, you can hedge out and put both in the dollar side of things. What I like about this, I think it goes lower. So that means if, if Europe and the US was to, to both fall, I expect the NASDAQ to fall less. And if they were both to rally, uh, I'd expect the NASDAQ to rally harder. Um, and my logic here is, is that I think we're going into, a, uh, you know, the TLTR loans need to be paid back for European banks at the end of June. That's about you know, half a billion euros of liquidity that comes off the European bank's balance sheet back to the ECB. And I think that's going to cause some stress in the European banks. Um, I think the European, uh, yeah, people talk about a recession in the US, but I think a recession is more likely to happen in, in Europe. We're seeing China clearly slow down. It's not collapse by any means, but Europe is much more leveraged to China. Uh, and I'm seeing greater risk of downside in Europe, which will incentivize capital to leave Europe. There's a whole raft of reasons for this, but I love this pairs trade because, yeah, if we was to see a debt ceiling issue playing through, of course, the Nasdaq's going to get hit, but Europe would get hit as well. So it's a lower beta strategy from just taking a pure directional risk there. So I like being short European markets, uh, European uh, index and long the Nasdaq. Um, and I think this is this is not a, this is not a scalp. This is more of a position trade. This is something that will work over time. You know, Chris, I think you're the pairs czar. You are uh, you're czar. really good at pairs trading. I love, I love it. it. I love it. Well, it's All just right. it's, so, it's, hey, it's, gonna, it's an interesting way of trading. I mean, obviously, this is kind of what the hedge fund world's based on. You know, they, they run long short strategies all day. It's lower beta, and you just do tactical. You can take a lot of the the macro out of the world. You know, like if, if the yeah, this kind of risk on risk off thematic, and you just play relative relative outperformance. It's a relative trade. Yeah, I, and I love it. And I, I love that you bring these types of trades and these types of opportunities to everybody here on the trade-off. I'm going to take you over to the S&P, and I'm going to be a little bit more directional, at least near term, going into the remainder of this week. And uh, we have a little triangle breakout in the S&P. But what I want to show you is I want to show you that the little pullbacks that we've seen at the, at the beginning of this month, so I think it was on the 6th of May, and then you take like the 25th or 26th of April, we hit a low of, of, of basically 40, 45, 40, 50, roughly on the S&P. That was a 38% retracement. That means that the pullbacks in the market have been extremely shallow. And now we're starting to break to the top side above the, the 4150 level. We start breaking 4200. I can only imagine the stops that reside above there. Like we talked about earlier, it's options expiration week. I think that the, the, the actual trade or the S&P can carry us above 4,200 towards 4,300. 4,300 is not only a 618 retracement, but it's also 127% extension of the recent pullback in the markets, which is going to, you know, that 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 confluence will make a really nice target for upside uh, momentum in the markets where I am a buyer, buy now, sell the news, whenever the news hits uh, uh, about a debt ceiling, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, deal. And that's the way I'm looking to position myself. I'm not sure if I'm going to trade it directly through the S&P, but I did want to bring that one up because I might be trading it through other other instruments, but I am looking for a move higher in risk. So Yeah, well, I don't know. Look, hang on to your hats, guys, because, um, you know, if, 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 if we don't see an agreement this weekend, coming this weekend, which to me still feels very, very likely, we go into June 
and they're going to have very, very low cash balances and some big payments to make. It's going to be make or break that ex-date time and markets could still come alive. I'm not giving up on hope that we can see a bit of volatility in these markets. It's, it's, it's not out of the woods by any means at all. They still need to pass any of these negotiations through both the House and the Senate. And they've got a very, very, the Republicans got a very slim majority. They can only lose, afford to lose four votes effectively in that situation to get that one. So it's not a done deal by any means at all. It's the devils will be in the detail there. Um, but I think the commitment to, to avoid a default is what the market's working on there as well. Anyway, Blake, I really appreciate all your views and I'm sure the viewers do as well. And to you guys at home, uh, thank you very much for watching. Hit the like button, leave us a message if you can. And um, yeah, we'll see you back next week for more of the trade-off.